As we continue our sermon series, Jesus Speaks, we're looking at these letters that Jesus wrote to seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and yet letters that are for us just as much applicable as if Jesus wrote our name, our Father Lutheran Church, on the letter. And in today's letter to the city in Thyatira, you may have noticed some pretty harsh words of judgment. Some words that Jesus speaks, when you read it for the first time, you kind of stop and go, did Jesus really just say that about children? Did Jesus really just say that, that he was going to cause someone to be sick, to be ill? What is going on here with this text? Why is Jesus using such harsh words of judgment? And to really understand that, we have to understand the city of Thyatira. Now, the first three letters that we looked at, Ephesus, Pergamum, these were cities that you might call a major city in the Roman Empire. Cities of, city centers of culture and religion, business and finance. Think like Paris, London, Singapore, those kind of cities in our world today, the influence that they wield in the world. But Thyatira was not one of those major cities. Thyatira was a working class city full of manufacturing. Thyatira was basically the Milwaukee, Wisconsin of the Roman world. And I love Milwaukee. It's a great city, but nobody's going there to retire. Nobody's looking there to see what the latest fashion trends are. Cheese curds, yes. Fashion trends, no. <laughs> Thyatira was a working class city. They had all kinds of manufacturing. It was world renowned for the goods that they produced. Working class city. That's the background. And yet, it's not a major city in terms of influence. Why is Jesus coming down so hard on it? Well, to look at that today, we're going to be looking at two things that we see in this text. The risk that Jesus talks about. There's a great risk for the Christians in Thyatira. There's a great risk to the gospel message itself. We'll look at that risk. But then also, then, there's a great risk. There's also a great reward. Jesus promises us something. Those who remain faithful and true to his word. There's risk and there's reward. Let's first start with the risk. And if you have your Bibles with you, open it up. We're looking at Revelation chapter 2. We'll start with verse 19. And as we've seen in these letters, Jesus begins with some words of affirmation. He's inviting them into relationship. And he says this about the Christians. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. In other words, they're actually growing in their care and concern for the community around them, their love for each other. There's a visible, tangible growth in the outward signs of faith, and he commends them for that. But then that invitation quickly turns to challenge, and in verse 20, he says this, that I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now let's pause right there. Very easy to misunderstand what Jesus is saying here, what the root cause of the sin issue is in the hearts of these people. And to further understand that, let's go back to the city of Thyatira. Again, it's a manufacturing city. And how the city worked, how it functions, was through what we might call today labor unions. They called them guilds. And the guilds operated every aspect of the city. In fact, you could not have a job unless you first joined the guild. And within the guild, all the culture, the religion, the social aspect, the teaching of children, everything took place within the guild. So if you weren't a part of a guild, you were missing out. You couldn't function in that city. 
But the real problem, the real concern for the Christians is that within the guild, the center, the focal point of life together in the guild was the worshiping of foreign gods, of false gods. In the case of Thyatira, the most popular god that was worshipped was the god Apollo. And if you're unfamiliar with your Greek uh, god system, uh, Greek mythology, Zeus is the head god, one of his sons, Apollo. He's the god of many things in Greek mythology, the god of war, god of commerce. He's the sun god. But in Thyatira, he had become known as the son of God. And he was worshipped and he was honored. And part of these worship practices, the things that were mentioned in this verse, verse 20, uh, every once in a while the guilds would have a festival. Now this festival was designed to do a couple things. One, it was a way to honor the workers, throw a big party for them so that they could celebrate what was accomplished, what was produced within the guild. But most reasons for the festival was to worship Apollo. So when things were going good and the guild was producing all kinds of goods and they were making money and they were getting fat and happy they would have a festival to honor apollo and to thank him for the good fortunes for the money for the commerce and then things were going bad when they weren't making money they would again throw a festival because they believed that maybe apollo was mad at them maybe they've done something wrong and the economy is not very strong they're they're being punished by apollo so they would have this big festival worship apollo and this is what would happen in the festival first of all they'd take animals bulls goats rams they would sacrifice them to apollo cut the meat up share it amongst themselves and they were eating food that was sacrificed to apollo and there was a lot of wine and there was a lot of drink and as the night wore on again the cultural norm of practice in the city within the guild of the temple worship was deviant sexual behavior it was encouraged it was celebrated and it went on into the night and if you didn't participate in that worship, if you refused to eat the meat, if you refused to engage in the deviant sexual behavior, you were at best kicked out of the guild and lost your livelihood. But at worst, you could risk your life. You could die. Because the people believe very strong, superstitious culture, honor-shame culture, that if you didn't participate in the religious life of the town, then God was going to come and punish you, and he would punish the guild, and he would remove his favor from them. There was great pressure for the Christian to participate in these worship activities. That's what was at risk for them, losing their livelihood, losing their lives. But there was something far more worse that was at risk than even an individual Christian using the, losing their livelihood. And to understand that, we have to understand who this person, Jezebel, is. Now, most scholars believe that this is not her actual name. Instead, what they believe Jesus is doing is using this name very intentionally to point us back to the Old Testament, to a real person in history whose name was Jezebel. In Israel's history, Jezebel, she's seen as one of the most evil villains in all of Israel's history. You might think of, uh, in our modern sense, Cruella DeVille. If any Disney fans are out there, this is Jezebel. She goes and has all the prophets killed, all the priests killed, raises the temples, erects worship to a god named Baal, which means the Lord. And within those religious practices, similar to the day that, the fa that faced the Christians in Thyatira, they would engage in sacrificial eating to the god Baal. Again, sexual deviant behavior. There's a lot of similarities between Jezebel in the Old Testament and this person that Jesus calls Jezebel. And what was really at risk, not so much the sexual immorality, even though right now today it's easy to pick on that, what was really at risk was the gospel message itself. 
Because what Jezebel was teaching the church in Thyatira is that on Sunday morning you come to church and you worship Jesus, you accept his forgiveness, we share a meal together, the, the communion feast, but then Monday through Saturday you can live your life however you want to. You can participate in the festivals. You can worship these other gods. You can live your life so that you don't get persecuted, so that you don't lose your livelihood, so that you don't lose your life. In other words, they put Jesus on a shelf Monday through Saturday and pulled him out again on Sunday to receive his good gifts. And what's at risk for the Christian church in this history and time is the loss of the gospel itself. If that teaching had spread, that Jesus wasn't the only Savior, but just one of many that could have spread from town to town, from city to city, and that message of diluting the gospel would have had horrible effects on the Christian church, the Christian community. That's what is really at risk in the city of Thyatira. Now, what about us? Again, we have been saying throughout this series that this is a letter written to the churches, but it's for us. And I think it's really easy for us to look at other denominations and pick on them. You know, there's a church right now, they're gathering for their worship of 50 to 60,000 people going to gather and worship at this church. And the pastor's going to hold up a Bible just like this one. And he's going to give a message that goes like this. You don't have enough faith. And if you do have enough faith, if you can muster it up inside of you, you can gather all this faith, and God is going to bless you. He's going to give you money. He's going to give you cars. He's going to give you things. He's going to give you beautiful children and a beautiful wife or husband with great hair. <laughs> Amanda has great faith. But that's not the gospel. That's a false teaching. It's heresy. That is not what Christianity is about. Instead, that's a religion that's dependent on you and the faith that you muster up in self. It's a false teaching. At the same time, there's a denomination in our United States that's actually one of the biggest denominations in the world. They do incredible social ministry. Feed the poor. They build orphanages and schools in third world countries. They do incredible work. We should be jealous of the work that they do. And yet right now, they teach that you do not have to have faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. They've diluted the gospel. And they falsely teach that God is a God of love only, and there is no condemnation. And he's just one of essentially many sources of faith to get to the ultimate destination of heaven. That's a false teaching similar to what we see going on here in this false, false prophetess, false teacher in Thyatira. Now, Again, it's easy to point to other denominations. It's easy for me as a pastor to point to them and to look at other pastors and see the mistakes that they're making and the ways in which they're falsely teaching. But this letter is also to us. It's to me. So it asks a question this morning. Is there any way in your own heart, is there any part of your life that you've compromised, that you've minimized sin, that you've refused to acknowledge Jesus when you're at work or when you're talking with your friends. I see a lot of students that we have here this morning watching online. When you're at school, do people know that you're a Christian or do you hide it for fear of what they might say and think? Tomorrow, when you go to work, first thing on Monday morning, when somebody asks you what you did this weekend, will you mention first the Bronco game that you watched or the church service that you participated in? See, it's so easy for us in this world to compromise 
to follow the world and to think that the culture might have something that Christianity doesn't offer. We have the same temptations in front of us that the people of Thyatira did to bend a knee to a false god, a false idol, a false system of belief because it's easier for us to hide it than it is to boldly proclaim it and live it every day. That is at risk for us. So then what's the reward? There's a risk here, yes, but then Jesus also offers us a great reward that we have to weigh the two, the risk versus the reward. If you go with me back to the text, look at verse 26. Jesus says, the one who conquers, in other words, the one who remains faithful, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. What Jesus is saying here, and again, if you look at verse uh, 18, he uses this imagery of showing up with eyes of a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze. That's a symbol of victory. That Jesus' enemies are under his feet, and he's bringing all of us with him in that victory. That means that we're going to be the conquering heroes someday. Yes, we are picked on and marginalized in this world, but one day the victory will be ours with Jesus, and we will stand with him with an iron rod over our enemies, the enemies of God, those who want to attack us and hurt us. That's one of the rewards that Jesus offers us. But it's not the best reward. Look with me to verse 28. He says, and I will give him the morning star. The morning star. Now, before I unpack what this is, a couple weeks ago, I was standing on this very altar area, and I was preaching a sermon at a funeral for a woman, a friend of a community member here in the neighborhood. And when I met with the family before the funeral, they, like most families, when they lose a loved one, are downtrodden, they're sad, they don't know how to react, they don't know how to feel. And as I was asking questions to get to know the family, to get to know this woman, they said to me over and over and over again, you got to understand she wasn't very religious. She wasn't very religious. And finally, I looked at them and I said, she wasn't very religious. And they said, no. And I said, good, neither am I. And they looked at me with the same face that you're looking at me right now. What is wrong with this pastor? Why did we come to this church? We were looking for hope. And I said, look, let me explain. I'm not religious, and neither was Jesus. Jesus didn't come to build another religion because here's what religion is. Religion is the things that we do that we muster up to earn God's love or to somehow get him off our back if things are going wrong in our life. If we just do the things and say the prayer and give the money and go to church, then maybe God will bless us and free us from our tribulation. That's religion that's not what Jesus came to do or to create. Instead, I said, Jesus offers us a relationship. A relationship that's not built on what we do, that's not built on what's inside our hearts, that's built solely on what Jesus did for us. Scripture tells us that Jesus gave up his throne in heaven to come down here to earth as a human being. He was nailed to a cross, and on that cross, our sin and shame and all the things that we worry about in this world, every single one was nailed to the cross with Jesus so that we could be in relationship with him forever. As Pastor Abel said, he is so jealous for us that he gave his very life to secure that for us. 
And we even see that happening in this text. You know, I think people who are unfamiliar with Christianity, or maybe you're here today seeking Christianity, and this seems so harsh, this judgment that Jesus is, is saying he's going to give to this woman and her followers, but look at what he does first. Verse 21, he says, I gave her time to repent, and listen to the tense here of this verb, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality, of her idolatry. She refuses. That means that Jesus has been actively pursuing her. That means that Jesus has been actively going after her, saying, repent, I want you to be in relationship with me forever, repent. And if he can do that to a woman who is teaching people to actively fall away from him, imagine what he can do to you in your life. Jesus never will give up on you. Until your dying breath, Jesus is pursuing you, running after you, giving you time and time again to repent and receive his love and receive his grace. And back to that morning star, what is it? Well, here's a spoiler alert. We're going to be looking at this in a couple weeks. Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am the morning star. It's in reference to the planet Venus that you could see at certain times of the year in the Roman Empire. It would come up right before the moon would go away and the sun would come up. It represented to the people that light has overcome the darkness. And what Jesus is promising you today is that the morning star is with you. He is with you. When you go to school and you face people who are antagonistic towards your Christian faith, Jesus is right beside you. When you go to work in the morning, when you're having the uncomfortable conversation with somebody who doesn't believe, who maybe even picks on you, makes fun of you for your faith, Jesus is with you. The greatest gift is that Jesus himself, I should say the greatest reward, is that Jesus offers himself to you to be with you, to love you, to forgive you, to comfort you, to give you all the things that your heart desires are best met through this relationship with Jesus. It's a free gift. I pray today as we walk out this door, as we think about our day ahead, our week ahead, we would rest in this amazing promise, the jealousy of God, the love that he has for us. He will do nothing. He will stop at nothing to win you to himself. Amen? Amen.